Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, we wanted to continue our discussion on ecclesiology, the study of the church. And in terms of the church, this is just a rewind of last week's introduction. Uh, There's some important information that we need to understand as it relates to God's church. And one of the arguments we made was that the church is not the brick or mortar. The church is the individual believer, the individual Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ. We are the church. We comprise the church. The church is made up of living organisms. That's you and I. And the church is composed of baptized believers, those who've been baptized in Christ, those who have professed Christ as their Lord and Savior. We are God's church. And so as a result, God has a plan. God has the limitations for the church. God has the boundaries set for the church. God has the goals and objectives for the church. I do realize in today's culture, uh, there are many churches that have implemented their own philosophies. They've implemented their own polity, meaning the way that they govern the the members. Uh, They've set up their own systems. And any system, any system that is contrary to what the Bible has already ordained or what the Bible has already specified is out of step with the will of God. So we need to make sure that everything we do has a biblical foundation, that everything we say about the church can be rooted in Scripture or checked by the Scripture. It's very important that whatever we do in the church, whether it's dealing with marriage, whether it's dealing with uh, relationships, whether it's dealing with business, uh, whether it's dealing with um, any metaphysical concepts, whatever it is that's going on inside the church, we need to be uh, very, very careful that we track it by the scriptures. For without tracking it by the scriptures, we're not uh, able to determine what the will of God is. So it's very important that when we plan things on behalf of the church or when we are establishing rules and governance as it relates to the church, that we test the spirit by the spirit. So on last week, we talked about um, leadership. We talked about leadership. The church is comprised of leadership and laypersons, uh, those that God has called to become leaders, those that are serving God's people. And the thing about leadership is uh, leadership in the church 
is not dictatorship. Leadership in the church is not like leadership out in the world. Uh, We as leaders uh, um, called by God himself, we are servants. We are servants first. So every leader is a servant. We don't see ourselves as better than other Christians. We don't see ourselves as greater than other Christians. We should see ourselves as servants. And that's why I love what Paul says about Jesus in terms of the kenosis effect, where it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humble himself even unto the death of the cross. Jesus came as a servant. He himself said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. So as leaders of the church, we have to do it the way that the Bible prescribes for us to do. We're servants. We have to have that uh, mindset of a servant. We serve God's people on behalf of God. We don't rule God's people. We don't uh, dominate God's people. And unfortunately, in some circles, uh, some leaders have twisted God's word and they've made themselves God. They've made themselves uh, divine. Um, and, and, and these are the false teachers. They have um, a congregation full of many, many, many people, and they've uh, taught their lessons in a way where a lot of these followers have become deceived and have equated these individuals with the position of Christ himself. And so that's a dangerous thing uh, to, uh, to be involved in in terms of leadership of the church. So the main thing is all God's leaders, all the people that God has called to become leaders, their mindset should be that of a servant. We're here to serve God's people in a holy and honest way. So the first group that we talked about were the apostles, and we even talked about the criteria for what an apostle should be, not what we're doing today. And today, uh, culture, there are people redefining terms, uh, redefining positions. But uh, if you want to hear more of that, please listen to the previous episode, part one of Ecclesiology, uh, the study of the church. So today we want to start off with bishops. The Bible tells us that God has given us bishops and bishops are in sense overseers. And it comes from the Greek word uh, episkopos, which means elder. It means elder. Um, we get that from Titus 1, 5 through 9 as an example. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. It says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order which was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are open to the charge of, um, to the charge of, being, uh, of not being wild and not being disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. 
So again, God has given us bishop. Bishops are overseers. And Paul, in challenging uh, his son Timothy, I mean, uh, uh, challenging um, the, the, the elders in this region, uh, gives us a framework or uh, the characteristics of what a bishop slash elder should be. An elder must be blameless. Blameless meaning that you're living unto the Lord, meaning that you are doing what you ought to be doing as a Christian, meaning that you're, you're, you're praying, meaning that you're reading, meaning that you're studying, meaning that you are living out the creeds of Christ. Not that you're perfect, not that you don't make mistakes, but you are living in a way where it's hard to find something that you're not doing on behalf of Christ. Now, if you look for it, you're going to find something in a believer. But this believer, this bishop, this overseer is living in a way that others can see Christ in them, not just at church, but also at home. And this bishop slash overseer is uh, uh, faithful to his wife. Amen. Faithful to his wife, uh, an individual, a man who knows how to be faithful to his covenant, not committing adultery, but faithful to his covenant, to his wife. And he, he's able to love this wife just like Christ loved the church. And a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And again, in general, right, this, we're not talking about the exceptions. We're talking about in general the man who uh, has spent his time serving his wife, serving his children, if he has children, and that individual is able to uh, pray with his children. They're able to read the scriptures together. They're able to study, and more importantly, the children are able to see the hand of God in this man's life, and this individual, bishop slash overseer, doesn't put the church body over his uh, his own family is God home then the church again it's God is home then the church since an overseer verse 7 Titus chapter 1 since an overseer manages God's household he must be blameless this is what Paul's saying not overbearing right not overbearing not a dictator the overseer overseer is not overbearing he is gentle. He's not quick-tempered. So Paul is clear in Titus 1, 5 through 9, uh, what God's expectation is for the bishop. Then Acts 20 and 17, uh, Luke writes the following. From Miletus, Paul said to Ephesus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Again, the term elder slash bishop. Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And often a bishop is an overseer of more than one church. Uh, They are working on behalf of God. They are under shepherds and they are uh, leading or serving other people uh, to serve Christ. So uh, the overseer slash elder um, has unique uh, position in terms that uh, they are serving in leadership over multiple bodies of Christ. Then the next uh, group 
are the deacons. God has given us deacons. And the, uh, this word deacon means servant. And we can't get around it. All of us are servants. Even the, the leaders. We are all servants. Amen. It's God that's called us to different positions. But we're not innately better than another Christian. All leaders are servants. And we serve at the capacity and at the will of Jesus Christ himself. He is the chief cornerstone, Jesus is. Jesus is the one that we serve. And we serve him by serving his people. Deacons mean servant. It comes from the Greek word diakonos. And their job, the deacons, is to assist the elders in the work of the ministry. So let's look at Philippians 1 and 1. Paul writes, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. So uh, this term deacon, it wasn't just created uh, out of thin air. Uh, This is a title that's used in the first century. This is a title that even Paul uses. And again, it comes from the Greek word diakonos, which means servant. We serve others. On behalf of God, we serve. We're here to serve. And oftentimes, uh, we see in many circles, leaders who've forgotten their distinct position is to serve, not to create a system where they are getting served all the time and they're not doing much serving. It's very important that we don't lose our way. As leaders, we are to be humble. As leaders, We are to take the initiative as leaders. We are to show other people by living our lives in a God-like standard so others may know what it looks like to be a Christian. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith of Jesus Christ. So just like the elders, just like the bishops, Paul, uh, in speaking to Timothy, carves out a criteria for deacons. They are to be worthy of respect, meaning that we that are part of the church, we need to respect our deacons. Why? Because God has called them to serve on his behalf. And who are they serving? They're serving us. And we know that sometimes it's not easy to serve other people uh, because you're dealing with different personalities. You're dealing with different issues. uh, You're dealing with uh, different uh, uh, faith levels. So it's not an easy job being a deacon. This is why it's important that these individuals are already on fire for God before they are selected, that they already uh, believe in prayer, that they already believe in service, that they already, already uh, exhibit these qualities. Uh, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. So our deacons should know doctrine. Our deacons 
should know uh, how to study the word. They should know how to rightly divide the word of God because these are the truths of the Bible, the truths of the faith, and they must do it with a clear conscience. This is why they must be sober-minded. Deacons uh, should not be uh, indulging in getting getting drunk. Uh, Matter of fact, a good way to not get drunk is not to drink at all. And that's another episode. They must be first tested. And then if there's another, if there's nothing against them, then let them serve as deacons. So there are qualifications that deacons must meet. And in the same way, then Paul ships to, uh, he addresses the issue going on at this particular church, um, encouraging the women also to be worthy of respect, but not uh, engage in malicious talk. And they ought to be temperate and trustworthy and everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. And this goes back to the same thing with the bishops and the elders. Uh, Before you talk about being respectable inside God's church, your family should be able to have the same testimony if you are a deacon. Your family should already see holiness exhibited at home. It makes no sense. For the church family to see you in one way, but at home you live in a different lifestyle. At home you don't pray as much. As at home you don't demonstrate faith. At home uh, you you don't study the Bible. At home you're not talking about God like you do at church. That's inconsistent. So the deacon must be uh, a consistent standard bearer of who Jesus is. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Again, that's um, the criteria for a deacon. Then we also learn inside the church, there's a group of people called the elders. The elders. And we talked about the bishop, uh, and, and the elders have similar qualifications. So the elder is, in essence, a pastor, just like a bishop. It comes from the Greek word, um, presenters, uh, uh, the, the Greek word presbyter, um, which is literally translated as an older man. Let me say it again. The word elder, as we find it in the English, comes from the Greek word presbyter, and this is where uh, we, we get the conjugated form of the denomination uh, Presbyterian, but I'm talking about in the biblical sense. Presbyter. It is literally translated as an older man. Uh, and let's look at some verses to corroborate uh, this fact. Acts 14 and 23. Paul and Barnabas were appointed elders for them in each church, or, or, or they appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they have put their trust. So again, we find a group of people called elders who are pastors. Then Acts twenty seventeen from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So there we go again, the term elder, Titus 1 and 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you to. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherd of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, 
God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So this is beautiful. This is Peter talking to the elders of the church, and he's given them a snapshot or a standard by which they must live. You can't be an elder and just live any type of way. Uh, You can't be an elder and not know the word of God. You can't be an elder and be impatient. It takes a lot of patience to deal with God's people. You can't be an elder and be faithless. In order for God's people to keep striving, to keep trying, they need leaders, they need bishops, they need elders who are willing to walk out on faith and uh, lean on the spirit and profess the things that the spirit has given them. And whatever the spirit gives them will not be inconsistent with what scripture has already ordained. It must be in congruence with the scripture, with the word of God. So whatever is prophesied, whatever is uttered must be in harmony with the rest of scriptures. So first Peter five, uh, chapters one, uh, first Peter chapter five, verses one through four. Again, uh, Peter talks about the qualifications of the elder that, uh, they watch over the people that they're serving, not because they must, but because they are willing. So the elder must be willing. And God wants them to be not pursuing dishonest gain. Um, Too many times we've heard stories of pastors that have um, abused their position of being an elder for their own personal gain. They have twisted and perverted God's word in a way where the congregation have been fooled uh, into giving away uh, their hard-earned money in order to support the lifestyle of the pastor. And I'm not saying uh, that uh, pastors can be, can't be in individuals of means. I'm saying let God give you whatever he's going to give you. But when we do it through dishonest gains, when we do it through perversion of the gospel, when we do it through manipulation, then that's not of God. First Timothy chapter five, verses 17 through 19. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the gain and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. So again, if there is some sort of dissent in the body, God has given us a prescription on how to go about settling the affairs. Well, our uh, episode for this week have come to a close. We pray that you've been blessed and that you learned something from uh, this episode, part two of Ecclesiology, the study of the church. And for those of you who've been praying for us, please continue to do so. Uh, That's what keeps us going. And then secondly, for those of you who like to be financial supporters, uh, please go online to srministries.org or you can give your donation um, through the mail, P.O. Box 582-306, El Grove, California, 95758. And remember to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. May the Lord continue to bless and sustain you. 
Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on on your favorite podcasting app.